Well, hi, Anthem. Bert here, uh, coming to you with another Q&A podcast from our Practicing the Way of Jesus teaching series. Now, if you're just catching up or listening to this for the first time, just a bit of a recap. For the last couple of weeks, as a church, we've been teaching through Practicing the Way of Jesus. In week one, we laid out this framework and uh, put forward this, this, this thesis, really, that to be a disciple of Jesus is to orient or, or aim or arrange your life around three goals, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And so what we've been doing is each week having the teaching and then having a, a Q&A session at our Sunday gatherings, but we've also been inviting you guys to text in any questions that you're thinking about or mulling through, and the questions have been incredibly insightful and and deep and and profound and and fun to engage with, and so I'm glad you guys have taken advantage of this resource, but because the the clock is never our friend, we never have enough time to actually get to all the questions on a Sunday, and so what you're about to listen to here on this podcast right now is is two things. First, it's the live Q&A that I did with Matt this last week. He taught through what does it mean to do what Jesus did. Uh, and then we did a live Q&A where we answered some questions there on the spot. And then we had a couple we didn't get to that after that live q and I'm going to come back on and answer some of those questions. Uh, this has been really fruitful. I hope it's been good and effective and, and worthwhile for you. It's something that we'd love to continue making available if it's a, a worthwhile resource. But in the meantime, here is our Q&A for from Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, where Matt was teaching about do what Jesus did, and so I'll throw it over there. All right. Well, you guys can keep texting some stuff in, but I'll start with this question because this is actually one that's come in, I think, almost every single week, and it's actually been kind of a fun place to start, um, is how do we do this and like parent small kids, like and, and like and parent kids. Yeah. Like there's there's an element to which this feels all-consuming, and this has been a question we've had every single week, is how do we like, raise our family and do this together? Are they mutually exclusive? Uh, yeah. No, you should wait to practice the way of Jesus until you're older and you don't have, <laughs> until you're an empty nester. Um, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm all good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think for something like that, it is, it's, a, it's a huge and overwhelming thing. We have five kids as a family and have gone through different stages of life where uh, it's easier and more challenging to put practices in our, in our lives. Um, and so I think that the call on each stage of life is to look for the opportunities within that stage to be practicing the way of Jesus. So rather than just raising our kids to get decent grades or be good soccer players or whatever the objective may be of the world, we actually want to, which is one that I didn't go into, teach them the way of Jesus. So that, is, that becomes a more important objective in raising our kids than simply raising good, well-behaved kids. And so we start to organize our life around that objective as much as possible uh, and devote ourselves to that and choose to... Um, spent a lot of time with them in prayer, spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to speak to them in a way that celebrates Jesus at work in their lives. Uh, And so the the whole idea of teaching the way of Jesus kind of points towards our kids 
And then also we want to take them out into the world with us. So yeah. if we are spending time with people that don't know Jesus, we want to teach them what that looks like, not to be afraid of the world, yeah. but also not to be influenced by the world, to be leaders in that situation and to kind of go into those places. Now our kids are slightly older, so maybe I'm not answering the young kid question very well. Um, I mean, we have Rosie's 19 months, but we also have all the way up to 15 years. So we have different stages of life yeah. that we are um, putting into practice in that. I, I don't know if that's helpful. You can yeah. answer that one also. Uh, that's, that's really good. I, I mean, one of the things I've been sharing with you guys over the last couple of weeks is I think a lot of what you were saying is like, we sometimes view, uh, like obeying and stepping into what Jesus has for us. And we view, view that as kind of exclusive from all the things that are in our life. And one of the things we talked about week one is, uh, discipleship to Jesus, following after Jesus does not work as a side hobby. It, it doesn't work at all. You'll leave yourself feeling really frustrated, anxious, always feeling like you're not at where you're supposed to be at or whatever. And, it's, we're, and it works so much better and it's designed to be the focal point of your entire life. And so, uh, like Matt was saying just a little bit earlier, what is your context? Are you single? Are you guys married with no kids? Are you have some young kids? Your first baby? Hey, Brooke, I see you there. Well done. Baby Shiloh is so cute. Do you have your first baby? Are you running a bit like whatever you're at? Say, okay, God, this is, this is where you've placed me. Like, it's not a surprise to him. And how do you want to use me? And we have three small kids, uh, three and a half, two, and eight-ish months. And, and uh, how we operate as a family is very different than when it was just Sherry and I. And uh, that's not a crutch or a, a handicap. It's actually um, a gift from the Lord to figure out how to use that in the context. But... I think to be asking the question in that moment, like, yeah. hey, we have this situation, yeah. like with your spouse. Yeah. We'll pretend like we'll role play here for a moment. Uh, what are ways that we can work on practicing the way of Jesus like right now? Yeah. How, how do we create that time for each other and those opportunities? What things can we be aware of yeah. with our kids and outside of our house that we need to be pressing into? That's really good. Um, and just organize your life around, like let some things fall away so that Practicing the way of Jesus can become more central in your life. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, next question. Can you give us some examples of times the Holy Spirit has spoken to you to encourage or pray for others? Yes. Is that a softball? Ryan? No? <laughs> Kristen, did you get that one? Okay. It's a good question. Well, it is. I just had it this, this week, and I shared this with Anthem T.O. this morning, and uh, I'll, sh I'll share it with you guys. I, I did not grow up in a, like a, uh, a context that I would say is prophetic or uh, even like, mm -hmm, I don't even, well, I'll just leave it at that. And, um, and so I, I've never really learned how to speak a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge over somebody until about seven years ago our, when we met our, our now mentor, Chris and his wife, Meryl Vinand, um, and they, they really taught us what life in the spirit looks like and, and even how to do that, even gave us practical leadership in how to do that. So some things that Chris taught me are, hey, when you're praying for somebody, you don't need to close your eyes and pray for them. Just open your eyes and see what God's doing even while you're praying for them. Uh, he said, I used to sit in the front and just be like all into worship and just loving it and receiving kind of in preparation for teaching. And then I, I felt like the Lord told me to start standing in the back or on the sides and being able to see the people that I'm about to preach to and just to be more aware of what God may be doing in their lives and for them instead of just being from the front. So this last week we were at a conference uh, down in Orange County, a worship leader conference, and uh, 
Chris invited all the singers to come up to the front and to stand and just uh, to kind of be ministered to. Anybody that sings in their church, specifically a singer, not a musician or whatever. Um, And uh, so he brought them all up and then he asked his wife and Kristen and me to come up and pray for them. And again, this is like way outside of what would normally be considered like my spiritual gift. So we go up there and uh, I'm just, I did what Chris, Chris taught me and I was standing just kind of looking at them while prayer and worship was happening. I was looking at the people that were there. There were maybe 15 or 20 that were standing up there. And uh, I had prayed for a couple of guys and then there was this other guy that uh, just while I was looking at him, the word grief flashed into my mind. So I kind of walked over to him. I said, what's your name? He said, Eric. I said, where are you from? He said, Vancouver City, Washington. And I said, I, uh, and this is music is playing and everything, but I just said, I uh, felt like the Lord gave me the word grief for you and that maybe there's something there that you want to, that he wants you to write songs out of, out of your personal experience, out of your grief, out of your emotion, out of your sorrow, and and to really bring a voice of depth, emotional depth to some worship that you're going to be leading in your church. Can I pray that over you? And he said, yeah. So I prayed that over him and then he said, thanks. And we wrapped up. And then the next morning, he came and found me and said, hey, can we talk for a second? He took me outside, and he just said, I want you to know how profound that was and just what an impact that made on my life. Uh, Five years ago, my brother-in-law died of cancer, uh, and it was two weeks before our first son was born, and it just, like, it, like, wrapped this whole life experience in grief, and the last five years have been that, and then just two months ago, I think he said my dad was diagnosed with cancer. So just this, like, this, like, window of time in his, in his heart was themed by just that very concept of grief. I've never met this guy in my life, but it was very much something that, that God gave to me to help open something up in him and even encourage him to not be angry at God for all those things, but to know that God is with him in the midst of that and wants to, to use that story to, to kind of create life for other people, even though he was struggling with it himself. And he was super encouraged by it, and it was just a unique awesome. opportunity. So I don't, I don't, cons- that doesn't happen to me. Like, everywhere I go, I'm like, boom, 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 words, 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 words. Like, that's just not my way of life at all. Uh, it's it's yeah. somewhat rare, and it was just a unique yeah. opportunity. And that just happened this week. Can I draw out just... Uh, it's not really asking a question. I just yeah. want to draw out a couple of characteristics of that moment in case that seems like super weird for you or you're like, well, cool for you. Your pastor doesn't happen to me. All, all, in those moments, a couple of things were at play. One, uh, Matt was open and available to the Holy Spirit. He was praying. He was just kind of asking the Lord, hey, what do you have? And it's that simple. Like it just yeah. started, hey, what do you have? You're, I, I don't want to make a really declarative statement, but this is the Q&A, so I can be a little bit fast and loose. But like you... The, <laughs> I, I'm not even going to go there. Never mind. But he I, he asked for the Holy Spirit. Like yeah. he, he said, hey, what are you trying to speak right? He didn't expect that it would just like writing on the wall or like just a flash of billboard in front of him. He asked. And and one of the other things is as he was praying for him, he you know what he did not say? Thus saith the Lord, your life will be forever changed by these words that are from God. You know, but he said, hey, I feel like the Lord is doing this like does that mean anything? Uh, and in that moment, it could have very easily been, no, but thank you, yeah. you know, or like, no, but just pray some encourage me. But in that moment, it was, yeah, actually, and then, and then prayed into that. It yeah. wasn't, um, I, th- I think sometimes as we talk about prophetic, praying for people, encouraging others, it's like this big, huge thing. And sometimes just saying, hey, Holy Spirit, what do you have in this moment for this guy next to me? And saying, hey, I think, does this make any sense at all? Like, and it's okay if it's not. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. To say? That's yeah. great. Uh, just to demystify it a little bit. Totally. 
Uh, okay, I got another question here. Right. Um, so I think this person is alluding to your John 14 reference, okay. the greater things. Yeah. And he says, are the greater things Jesus spoke of dealing with taking to the gospel to the world? And so um, I don't want to distort this person's question, but maybe I'll read into a little bit. Okay. Is, is that the limited definition of greater things? Like is when Jesus is saying that, is it only taking the gospel to the world? Or maybe is there a... A larger picture. Um, I don't read it specifically that way, uh, but I also don't necessarily say Jesus raised one person from the dead. We're going to raise five hundred. You know, like I don't necessarily put it in in that in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but the I think the way that I would read it is maybe more. And I, I I'll be honest. I'm I would want to go in depth to answer that question cool. specifically. Um, we could maybe even circle around and do that one a little bit later. Yeah, that would be okay. I, um, I guess when I, when I look at that, just like as I read through that passage, yeah. truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And then he goes on to the promise of the Holy Spirit, verse 15, all the way through. You could read 15, 16, uh, all the way into chapter 17. Jesus is kind of preparing the disciples for when yeah. he's gone. The idea being... Don't look at me leaving as the end of the ministry that you've seen taking place, mm -hmm. but look at me leaving as an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and for you to go out and do even more things. And yeah. yes, beyond the scope of Israel. I think that's absolutely included in this. Yeah. You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You're going to go to the nations. I totally see that in there. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I also wouldn't put it like we're not ranking miracles, like there's water into wine and then there's feeding the 5,000 and then there's walking on water and greater than this you're going to do. I'm not putting it in that category yeah. either. So yeah. uh, it's sort of like a, uh, I think there is an increase and there's a sense of, uh, of out like that. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's my, uh, my gut without deep, That would be deep a fun dive. one to dig into yeah, a little bit too. I think so. Yeah, and unpack that one. Um, there are two questions I'm going to combine. I'll read them and then say why I'm combining them. One is how, we, how can we decipher cultural norms of the biblical times from rules that we should follow today? Okay. As it, particularly in the context of doing what Jesus did. Sure. And the second question is, since Jesus was raised in the Jewish tradition, are there any Jewish practices that would be helpful in our imitation of Jesus? And so the reason I'm combining those is just the, you, you alluded to earlier that Jesus lived in a time and place yeah. and worked in that context. We live in a different time and place and are then working in this context. Yeah. And um, some of that, like you said earlier, can be excused away. Others of it is we can, you know, is our role to be a homeless itinerant you sure. know, teacher of the Torah? Yeah. Or is it, you know, just kind of maybe speak to some of uh, what, how culture yeah. comes into play and the disconnect and how we bridge the gap. And, uh, well, honestly, this is a question that the early disciples wrestled with very specifically. Uh, so when you look at Acts chapter 15, there's this uh, thing called the Jerusalem Council, and there were the, the big debate that the Jerusalem Council was dealing with is essentially when we lead people to Jesus, are we also leading them to Judaism? So is that really, the, that, uh, that's fundamentally what was getting dealt with. Or are we actually okay leading people to Jesus without bringing in sort of the Jewish subculture in addition to it? And as you see in, Jerusalem, uh, in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, and again, this might be a, a good deep dive for another time, but you see the letter that they write that comes out of this seems good to the apostles. This is uh, 1522 and to the whole church uh, to choose to send this letter. We heard some persons, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, Verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So there's an entire Jewish law that could have been brought in and they could have said that, we, that you hold to the Levitical law and you hold to the uh, rabbinical law and that you, you abide by these practices that we have abided by, yeah. aboden by. Um, but they don't do that. They actually identify things that are very culturally relevant. Food yeah. sacrificed to idols. Yeah. These pagan cities had temples to yeah. different gods. Let's not eat the food that they're eating. Let's make sure that we leave that stuff totally untouched because it does. It creates a really weird sense even for the Jewish believers and the, the way that things are at. So let's just leave that alone. Sexual immorality, it was rampant. Let's leave that totally alone. And outside of those things, we're good to go. Yeah. So I think there's just a sense of... Um, there is a separation from the first century Jewish culture, but then there are practices. So like, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Did that predate the law? Is that something that has validity in the life of a person? Uh, Is that something that we should adopt? Those are incredibly helpful questions to be asking that don't have as easy of an answer as should we, I'm not gonna throw out some random Levitical law. Um, So those, those have kind of some dynamics to them that the believer should look into. What does it mean to rest in Sabbath? We are created for that as opposed to that's a Jewish law. I don't need to do that anymore. That's not the way that we should think. Does that help? That's helpful, yeah. Whoever asked that, does that help? <laughs> I don't know if this is supposed to be anonymous. Yeah, it is anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Um, yeah. Okay, and so the, there are a couple of other questions that are either off topic or a deeper dive. We'll get to those on the pod, but I want to end with one question right. uh, that came in just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, I'd love to find someone, just because this is, this is a bit of a softball, sure. it'll be a great way to wrap up. I'd love to find someone to imitate as they imitate Christ any suggestion on how to do that? Yeah. Uh, I'll let you answer, then I'll answer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You want to just take it? Because you're good, man. Well, no, no, you, okay. you jump in. Well, I was just going to say, like, we've been saying this for, like, three weeks straight. You can't do this alone. Yeah. Like, this mandates, following Jesus mandates community. No one's the exception. And so, for us at Anthem, that plays out through community groups. And so, if Anthem is your home, or you want to make Anthem your home, the step one is to be in a community group because you're immediately surrounded with people from different contexts, life experience, different spiritual maturity, uh, and there will be an immediate pool of people to look to and say, I can see them living life, and I want to ask them or not ask them, honestly. That would be my first step, but. I think maybe this is tips for life and community is you should be getting somebody, getting to know somebody well enough that you can see the Jesus life in them. So, as you're getting to know people in your communities, do you know their habits and patterns? Do you know the life that they're building and, and things that you can see that you're, you're weak at? Uh, I mean, it's like, let's just say you look at somebody, we'll, we'll talk totally physically, and you're a guy and you're wanting to work out and get stronger or whatever. You might look towards a fitter guy to like say, hey, what's your routine, man? You know, or like, hey, what do you do? Like, well, you just kind of, you, you know what you're looking for. You're not necessarily going to look to the guy that's, that's wildly out of shape and just be like, hey, what's your routine, man? Like, it just it kind of puts him on the spot. So Toppers, yeah. three, three times a week, <laughs> not running. It's the three T's. It's toppers, topa, topa. That's three T's. Yeah, there it is. All that's right. three T's, yeah. Um, so you generally want to look for somebody that you can see the Jesus life at play in them, and then you wanna, you wanna, you're drawn to that. So, so kind of honing in on what, what that looks like. Uh, one of our elders, Tom uh, Gallardo, he just 
there's a, they have a, a neighbor whose family has fallen apart and uh, they have taken the, the daughter in, not in a full foster care situation. She's like a, a teenage daughter um, and Lois has started mentoring this girl and they just, they, they love on her and they do such a, a good and faithful job of just showing this girl the way of Jesus. Her family's like from this kind of awkward Catholic background, like semi-Catholic, but just like super guilty Catholic. And, and so they just are like raising this girl up and it's beautiful. And so you look at that and you're like, well, I see Jesus' skin on that guy and I want to learn what that looks like and I want to ask him a lot of questions and I want to learn how to maybe structure my life in a way that, that lives generously and faithfully like that. You know, you just kind of yeah. look for those things. That's really good. Yeah. You, you can't see those things if you're not living life with those yeah, people. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, can we thank Matt? Thanks for coming out, answering your questions. Yeah. All right, so that was our Q&A from Sunday. Once again, a huge thanks to Matt for not only coming out and teaching, but engaging in that Q&A. That was a lot of fun to do, but there were a couple of questions we didn't get to, and so I just want to dive right in uh, to, let me see, I have three questions, and once again, there were a lot that came in, and some of them kind of grouped together, so if you don't hear your exact question, it's because we kind of thematically lumped in with another one, and so uh, I actually wanted to start in on, on those three, and so the first one I'll do will be short and then the next two will do a little bit of unpacking and um basically there were a couple of of questions that came in that were a little bit around um uh some some what needs to take happen in our what needs to happen in our heart and our mind before we quote unquote do what Jesus did uh, and stuff like why why is the first step not dying to self and putting off the old man um, why you know why are we not you know talking about being being with Jesus or time with him or, or you know under, sitting under teaching or any of those other things and they all kind of grouped in that same like the same category of there has to be some some place we start before we get to quote unquote doing what Jesus did and I will say yes absolutely that's right um, and that's a bit of uh, and the reason this is a quick answer is because we we have dealt with that in the other couple of weeks and so if you maybe miss some weeks or miss some teaching and are hearing uh, this stuff about doing what Jesus did and you maybe have some weight, what, what about like our, our character, transformation, sanctification? What about the, the old man, the new man, the old creation, new creation? What about being with Jesus or, or any of these things? We actually did a lot of work to build the foundation. It's one of the reasons why we kept saying each, each week kind of builds on itself. And so I'll just say if, if you had those questions, um, where you maybe felt uh, like kind of a just thrown in the deep end on Sunday. I, I totally understand that. Go back and particularly listen to some of our stuff about becoming like Jesus and the transformation that takes place and how kind of the baseline for for any sort of effective uh, following Jesus is uh, being with him. And so we actually addressed that in the first couple of weeks. So that was kind of one grouping of questions. And then the next grouping of questions uh, were, were around the uh, that John 14 passage are the greater things Jesus spoke of dealing with taking the gospel to the world. Now, I don't want to infer too much, but I will just simply share from my personal background and see if that resonates, and then we'll go to the text itself. My personal background was very much a, a Christianity or a discipleship to Jesus that kind of explained away anything we don't see today in our context. 
So for instance, Jesus and his disciples had a lot of healing of sick people. They even raised some people from the dead. There, there were all these miraculous things that were happening that we don't quite see in our time and our place. And so my heritage was one of trying to explain things away or uh, and, and, uh, not, not like maliciously, like really good intentions, trying to reconcile the life we live with what we see in Scripture. And uh, while the greater things Jesus spoke of in John chapter 4 are dealing with taking the gospel to the world, it's not just that. And so uh, I actually want to go to that text. So if you have John 14, I'm going to be talking a little bit about John 14, but in, in John's gospel as a whole, that word, uh, some depending on your translation, it's either greater things or greater works, or um, there might be uh, another um, word that is translated in there, but just kind of the, the action things that we do. And in John's gospel, my translation says greater work, so we'll roll with that. In John's gospel, that term works um, is, is broader than just signs and wonders. And so for my uh, friends with heritage and more a Pentecostal or charismatic background where they immediately go greater things means greater miraculous things, it's like, well, the miraculous is, is part of that, but it's not all of that. Um, the signs in John are, are characteristically like miracles that attest to Jesus' identity as Messiah and Son of God and, and that, that typically lead unbelievers to faith. And so when John uses the word works, or we can even swap in greater things, he includes both the miraculous stuff and all his other activities and teachings, including the whole of his ministry. And so when really John uh, is recording what Jesus is saying and saying, we'll go on to do, because he's going to the Father, he's given us the Holy Spirit, and we'll go on to do greater things or greater works than even he did. It's talking about, bold, it's talking about everything in Jesus' ministry. So his teaching, yes, his miraculous works, uh, his, his ministry, his compassion, his evangelism, all of those things are part of the package. And then the key here, and this is going back to our teaching on being with Jesus, the key here is that our goal is not to do those miraculous things, but our goal is to be with Jesus, let him change us and model him. And it is up to the Holy Spirit how he's going to work through us in our time and our place. Does that make, is that making sense? I, I hope it's making sense. The, I think what I don't want is I don't want people like me who have a heritage where we'll kind of explain that away and saying, oh, that's just taking the gospel to the world. Or even I don't want my, my friends from a more charismatic heritage and background to say, oh, well, that's just the signs and wonders. It's actually everything in his ministry Jesus gives to us because he's at the right hand of the Father and we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. We are empowered to go and take his work beyond the, the scope of, of ministry regionally that Jesus had. And so the disciples' greater works is possible because he's going to the Father because of the finished work on the cross and uh, these greater works will be possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us who Jesus sends when he goes to the Father. And so these greater works will include evangelism, will include teaching, deeds of mercy, compassion, will include the miraculous. Uh, it's just the entire ministry of Jesus that he gives to the church to take the entire world. Uh, and that, that all happens and that all begins at in the day of Pentecost. Um, 
And these works are, are greater, uh, not because they're, they're a more uh, like amazing or more valuable or it's like a, um, just a better version of what came before, but they're greater in the, in the worldwide context, that they're, they're now not limited to this region of Galilee or Israel, but they're actually going to the whole world and will result in transformation of individual lives and whole cultures and whole societies as they uh, see uh, the, the teaching, the evangelism, the, miracu- the miraculous, the compassion, the whatever component to the ministry that Jesus gives his church, we now take that to the whole world. And so that word greater is not meaning better than, but just kind of in a, in a broader sense, it's going out farther. So it's not just taking the gospel to the world. That's definitely a massive part, but it's, it's all of Jesus's ministry that he gives to his disciples. And it's greater because we go out into the entire world and change not only individuals, but whole cultures and societies. Great question. That was so good. And uh, you might have a wildly different perspective when you come to that text, depending on your church background, if you do have any. And so I hope that was helpful. And the last question that I got, there's a couple that were sort of like this, uh, but they were questions around what if I don't feel gifted or equipped to do what Jesus did? Um, anywhere from, yes, healing the sick to preaching the gospel, prophesying, teaching the way. You know all these all these different things. Uh, that that's a really good question, um, and I feel like that question. And I, I, once again, I could be really reading into it, but but it comes from a like we've been journeying through this last couple of weeks of being with Jesus, becoming like Him, and and I don't think we're looking at the life uh, and the action of Jesus. And as a church going, no, I don't I don't think I want that. I think we're looking at that and we're like, yeah, we we want that. We see that in Scripture, but. How do I even do that? I don't feel gifted or equipped to preach or to teach or to disciple other people or to go out of my, my comfort zone or out of my normal pattern to engage with people who are far or orphans or on the fringes of society or whatever. And uh, I, there's a lot of really specific areas we could go, but I think the two big things to help answer that, what if I don't feel gifted or equipped to do what Jesus did? Um, two things. Uh, one is sort of an identity statement, and one is a bit of a call to action. And uh, the, the two things are you, you are equipped, like that's a statement of fact stemming from your, your identity because of the finished work of Jesus. You are equipped, but you are also called to grow and you are called to learn. Uh, and so that might mean for you um, uh, practicing, trying, getting with people who've done a particular thing before uh, may mean taking classes or learning or growing or whatever. Uh, but there's kind of this tension we ha- we have where we are equipped and we're called to grow. A great example of that in Scripture is uh, one of one of Peter's letters, and in Second Peter chapter one, I actually taught out of this passage a bit for the becoming like Jesus um, teaching. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, I'll just read the whole thing and we'll kind of go back. Uh, Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things. So not some things, not, not uh, only a couple of things, but all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is sin in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, stop there for a moment. Verses 3, that's verses 3 and 4. And what that is speaking to is your identity in Christ, that his divine powers grant to us all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. 
And there's this statement about being rescued out of, out of the corruption and sin of the world and being partakers in this divine nature. And so you are equipped in your identity as a follower or disciple of Jesus. You have, Scripture tells us, everything we need for life and godliness. We've been rescued from sin and corruption. We've partakers in this divine nature, and that changes our very nature, who we are. But Peter doesn't stop there. That's the identity statement. That's the stated reality and status that you are equipped. But in verse 5, look at how he continues this thought. For this very reason, that's a very helpful phrase. So because of verses 3 and 4, because you are equipped, because God's brought you out of the sin and corruption of the world, because you are partakers in this divine nature, make every effort. I love that. There's no gray area. It is on you and I to make every effort. He continues to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, I love the process language there. If they are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verses 3 and 4, identity. You've been rescued from sin and corruption. You're partakers in the divine nature. And God has given you everything you need right now for life and godliness. And make every effort to supplement that faith with virtue, character, integrity, with knowledge, growing in your, in your intellect and understanding, self-control, your, your literal control over your actions, habits, and your body, steadfastness over a long period of time with godliness and brotherly affection and love. For if these qualities are yours, and they're yours because we're equipped, right? We're partakers in the divine nature, but they're also increasing, and we have a role to play in that increasing. They keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the kingdom of God. What if I don't feel gifted and equipped to do what Jesus did? There are two sides to that, and the first is to, I'm borrowing this phrase from someone else, but to preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself that because of the work of Jesus, you are equipped to do what God has called you to do, but also make every effort to grow. You are called to grow as well. And so for some of you, you might need to preach the gospel to yourself and remind you that God has equipped you. For others of you listening, you may need that swift kick in the butt to actually put this stuff into practice and to grow your knowledge, grow your godliness, your faith, your virtue, your virtue, your brotherly affection, whatever it is. And that he goes on to list all those to sort of not leave anything out, to say all of life, be growing. You're called to grow. And this really takes moving from being a spectator in the Christian faith to a participant. Moving from a passive consumer of Christian things to a committed contributor in the kingdom of God. This is incredibly difficult because the Christian culture in which you and I live in today, if you're listening to this and you are in America in 2018, is very much be a spectator, be a passive consumer, come show up at this event, be a butt in a seat and just listen and then go out and give your money and that's it. And that is not the call of Jesus at all, but to be an active participant and committed contributor in what God is doing around the world. So I hope this is helpful. Um, And uh, if it is, 
please let us know. Uh, you can email me, Bert, B-E-R-T, at anthemchurch.org, uh, or you can text us, 805-628-2244. Just would love to know if this is helpful to you. Uh, and if you want us to keep going as, as we teach to include these times of Q&As. And so, uh, once again, you can email Bert at anthemchurch.org or text in 805-628-2244. Have a great day, guys.